Your support of the Candid Frame over the past 12 years has been invaluable to us. You have not only helped us produce over 400 episodes, but your donations directly helped us to create the Candid Frame app and making it available for free. We are now proud to announce the release of a new way for you to listen to TCF. We have released a new skill that is compatible with Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. Using voice commands, you can listen to the latest episodes, jump forward and back, and if you stop listening partway through an episode, it will remember where you left off. And like the Candid Frame app, it's free for users in the U.S. and Canada. In the coming months, the skill will be available in other countries. And I'll let you know when those become available. You can help and continue to support the work that we do here by contributing as little as $2 a month to our Patreon campaign. You not only help us to meet our cost of production, but provide us the means to improve the quality of the show and do so much more. Contribute today by visiting patreon.com forward slash the candid frame. This is Ibody and X, and this is the candid frame. Many photographers believe that they have to go far away from their personal, everyday lives in order to produce great work. They see photographers photographing in faraway lands or spending time in a different culture and think that exoticness will inspire creativity and great photography. But there are countless photographers, many of whom we've had on the show, who have demonstrated that the best subjects are sometimes in our own backyard. That was the case with photographer Nydia Blas. Nydia found her inspiration for her project, The Girls Who Spun Gold, among a group of teenagers that she worked with at a community center in her hometown of Ithaca, New York. The Girl Empowerment Group provided the African-American girls a place to gather and a safe environment to discuss issues of growing up, sexuality, race, and more. It was Nydia's collaboration with these young women that led to images that provide an honest and refreshing alternative to the stereotypical images that young women of color are subject to every day. It also offered this young photographer a chance to use her talents to create images that truly mattered to her and to others. Well, Nydia, welcome to The Candid Frame. It's really a pleasure to have you. Yes, thank you for having me. Yeah, when I fell upon your images, I was really intrigued, especially when I started digging deeper into your into your story. Um, I, I want to talk about you know the personal project that, that drew you to my attention. But one of the things I was really interested about was you know the imagery that you grew up with that really had an influence on you as a young woman and eventually as as a photographer. Tell me about those images and why they were so important to you. Yeah. Um, so I guess, uh, first of all, I grew up in a, a homes full of images. Um, my family has been in the Ithaca area where I currently am for over a hundred years. And photography seemed to be something that was used from early on sort of in our family trajectory. And it seemed like women mostly who were photographing. So in homes, um, I grew up really close to my great aunt Beverly J. Martin, who has an elementary school named after her in Ithaca. She's one of the first, well, first black female administrator here. She went to Cornell and was the principal of the school that I went to elementary school, but 
long ago when my mom was actually young. Um, and so I was in her home a lot, uh, and just filled with images. So images of my ancestors, which I think worked to sort of instill this sense of greatness in me, right? That I actually had this visual representation of people who were related to me, men and women and children of all different shades to, to probably almost passing as white to um, dark skin. Um, and so those images, I think, worked to to sort of, like I said, instill the sense of greatness that I came from somewhere, that I had a history, um, and also that representation and being able to see myself reflected was something that was really important um, and something that almost felt natural. And so when I didn't see that growing up in the world, it was something that I started began to question. When did you start noticing that there was that sort of disconnect between the imagery that you were seeing in your house and what you weren't seeing out in the world? Yeah. So my mom is lighter skin than me. She probably can pass as as white sometime. And I just remember growing up with her and she would always kind of give me this story that people should be people should be judged by the content of the character and not the color of their skin. It was this very like colorblind rhetoric. And then I noticed when I was at school or when I was in the world that things didn't actually work out that way. And so I think there was a, a tension there for me always. But that this also reflected itself um, in imagery. And I think mostly when I became frustrated is when I had kids of my own, when I was 18 and 24, about 23, 24. In the books that I was reading to them or the cards that I would buy them, I found myself always coloring the people different shades of brown mm. so that they see themselves reflected. Yeah. Because for me, I'm a, I'm a older generation, and I, that was a real distinctive thing for me. And yeah. I know that when I was really a sort of a young kid, I watched a lot of television, and it, it really struck me that I wasn't seeing people that looked like me on on television. Yeah, and I certainly didn't see it in in the books that I read because I was, uh, you know, I, I was inexhaustible in terms of what I read in terms of stories and books, and mm -hmm. you know, after a while, that lack of that representation takes a toll. I think. Yeah, and you know, and for 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 me, when I finally started seeing imagery, it was shocking. It was like surprising. It was like, oh, wow. It would be, it, it would, to someone else, it would be like nothing because they see it all right. the time. But to, to, to me, it was like, wow, look at that. That person looks like me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you have experiences like that when you were young with imagery that was outside of what you were growing up with in your own household? I think. I think I did. And I think I got excited about those types of images, especially like in popular um, magazines. But I think another thing for me that was a barrier is that I've never been like a, a skinny girl. And so even when I would see this sort of stereotypical image of a black girl, it was a light skinned girl with this big curly hair, and usually like a really specific thinner body type. And, um, and so I kind of grew up always wanting to kind of be that girl. And so I think in ways I did, but in ways I didn't. And so when I started to make my own work, it was important for me to expand that notion. Yeah. Well, the project that brought you to my attention was The Girls That Spun Gold. And what's interesting about it is that that work was sort of a collaboration with some young girls that you were working with. Tell yeah. us about, you know, the the community that you built around around these young women and why and why it happened. 
Yeah. Um, so I'm really excited. Actually, one of them just came home back into town today to Ithaca from college. And I just saw her and ran down the street and gave her this big hug. She's going to be uh, my intern this summer, which is really exciting. Oh, so. Wow. Yeah, so right now I serve as the executive director at Southside Community Center, which is a historically black community center in downtown Ithaca. I was working here in 2011 and 2012 as a program educator. I had just um, completed my undergrad as an adult student returning to, to college and got a position here. It was really the only place that I thought that I could work in Ithaca. I was like, I want to, I, I was studying all these things. I majored in cinema and photography. I minored in African diaspora studies. And I was just like, I need to be around black folks. Like, and so I was so dedicated to having this, this position here at the center. And while I was here, I met a group of girls. We worked in summer camp together, uh, a group of about 10 girls. We became friends. It was an interesting point in my life where I had separated from my husband um, and I was by myself with my two children. And I think a really interesting point in, in these girls' lives where they were about 13, 14, and I kind of served as that adult that was not quite an adult, like not your parent, mm -hmm. not your authority figure. It's kind of fun, kind of young, kind of cool, but not too cool because they always put me in my place. <laughs> <laughs> All the time. Um, and so our relationship formed in the sense that they really noted a need to have a physical space to be able to be with each other, to be able to share their experiences. We live in a predominantly white town, uh, go to predominantly white schools. And so I think there was a need to have an actual space just to be with each other. And so I created a girl empowerment group for them. It was a mix of sort of the things that I had learned and was excited to share and really what they wanted in the space. So they wanted at one point to start a dance team. And so we did that. We performed at local, well, they performed at local events. We deconstructed rap videos. We went to Harlem, to the Schomburg and to the Apollo. We talked, had really enlightening conversations and painful conversations about self-esteem and our families and just our lives and who we were, how we were treated at school. And I think I say we because I felt really connected to them because I grew up in the same space, walked the same streets, went to the same schools mm -hmm. and, you know, knew their families over the years. And so as we went on and I applied to graduate school and decided that I needed to pursue my education and my craft a little further, I was really upset to leave them. I felt like I was sort of... Um, uh, betraying them that I and I felt selfish that I had to leave them for my own uh, sort of you know journey and uh, it just occurred to me while I was there to begin photographing them when I was in school I was having some trouble figuring out what I was doing I began photographing them a little bit and then went to something else and returned to the girls and I think this the space that it was cre created was this space to be able to still spend time with them and also be addressing you know the work that I had to do and what's interesting is that it, it wasn't strictly sort of you documenting them it was more of a sort of a co collaboration of conceptual photographs that explored yeah. different ideas of identity and, and body issues and, and so much more and it's really interesting that that collaboration was happening with you know, with teen girls that are a, a different generation than you. Yeah. Tell us about what that provided you in terms of what you could express in your photographs. 
Yeah, that was an uh, amazing process for me. And I think because at the time that I, I was in school, and I would really say that my work is always like an amalgamation of my experiences, probably everything that I've seen ever, um, every story I've read, every movie I've watched, and ideas for photographs sort of just, they feel like they come just come to me, even though I know that that's not true. And it's really a result of all of those things. Right. And so sometimes our process was, is we, we would meet, I'd say, Hey, you guys, let's have a photo shoot. Like I'm, I'm in town from school. I only ever shot that work in Ithaca. For some reason, it was really important for me for it to be here. Yeah. Ithaca's little tagline is uh, 10 square miles surrounded by reality. (laughs) (laughs) Which it can feel like that sometimes. And so it's this idea that we live in this sort of magical place that's sort of removed from reality. I mean, in all reality, it's not. But we have sort of created that that guise around us and around this space. And so there was something about that, that magic too. And I believe too, in order to sort of navigate, you know, harsh realities of being a girl, of being born into a a black female body that there you have to find some sort of like magical element. Like yesterday I was laying in my bed and the way the light came in the window and the way that it was like on the wall and it was beautiful. And I just like smiled to myself because it reminded me um, of some of the things that I try to get at in my work. Um, But our process was really interesting because I would get them together, uh, often um, feed them, right? That was our thing is we would always eat. I would either cook for them or we would order food and I would just have this idea. I'd be like, come on, you know, I want to. And sometimes it took some convincing. So there's a photograph where I have where I lay as feet are on Rosanna's face. And so it would be ideas like that. And sometimes they would think that I was crazy, especially at first. They were like, Mm -hmm. what is is she talking about? But they would always try my ideas. And then we worked to sort of make them better. Like, should we change clothing? Should we do it differently? Should we, you know, find a different location? There were things that we shot like multiple times. The one with Rosanna with holding the mirror in between her legs. I shot that image like four different times, like four different locations and really worked to find the image that worked best. But in, a, in that way, it was always a collaboration. And, and when I started printing the images and looking at the images, they were like, oh, it makes sense now. Like, oh, now mm. we get it. We can't speak to it. And I would say, well, what is it? And it's a story. It's about us. It's like about our lives. It's like, I don't know. I, I had these uh, just parameters that I worked in. Um, like no, nothing in the background that, um, was really revealed a specific time period or no cars or no signs or stuff like that. Yeah, what's interesting in terms of what you just said is that, you know, here we have these young girls who grew up in the age of Instagram and Facebook mm-hmm. and they're, they're used to seeing imagery within a certain way. They see it as sort of a pretty pretty photographed to, to a great extent right. and then you come in here with an, with a context of the history of photography uh, an understanding of the power of storytelling in photographs and so for them that's revelatory yeah but what I'm curious as to did you learn anything about your own work as a result of their perspective oh I'm sure I mean I learned so much about myself in like working with them that was amazing I I think I learned working with them how to tell that story. Like I was really, I was really solid on, you know, who the, who the focus was, who the subjects were, 
Um, but also I think I learned how to, to make like a series of work with them. Like, you know, there were other elements that were really important, like the, the costumes or clothing, um, location, also the, uh, like the gesture, the prop, mm-hmm. or I would call it a gesture or an action. Like those things were really important. So I think the skill of like working with people, learning that I really like to photograph people that I know, that that connection is something that's really important to me. And this idea of collaboration, that it's not just me that has the power and is making an image of you, but it's something that we're sharing and something that we're going back and forth with that's based off of, you know, respect and care and love. Um, learning that about myself as a photographer was really important. What, what are some of the issues that you think you're addressing in your work when it comes to the imagery that's associated with being a black woman? Yeah, I'm really interested in this idea of circumstance um, and that we are born into bodies that carry a specific history, um, stereotypes, um, heightened access to like violence or exposure to violence. And so that was something that was important in the work is that I got to And that was something that excited me about working with these girls is their sort of acceptance and love for each other. I think we learn in our culture so much that there is not love between women and girls Mm -hmm. um, that we're sort of pitted against each other and we're in competition for boys and who looks the best and who. But what really inspired me with these girls is that they accepted one another for who they were. So somebody was you know, thicker and bigger bones, some darker skin, somebody wore wheat, somebody wore their hair natural, but it wasn't ever this space of like making fun of people or making each other feel bad about that. But it was about accepting each other and each other's value. And so I think that's where that comes into play with some of the, the things in my work. So this notion of circumstance, Like now, some of the girls are in college, Um, some of them have kids, some of them are just working. And so I really wanted to expand the notion of like that journey, like there isn't just one black girl, there isn't just one journey and black comes in all different colors, you know, black is, you know, super light skinned, super dark black is, yeah. And so I wanted to, to expand that notion like visually, but also the experiences that I'm looking at in the work. You know, when when you're working on a project like this, especially doing it in collaboration, I I can imagine that sometimes the way you see the world in terms of issues of race and sexuality, assumptions that you've kind of made almost subconsciously, you're all of a sudden confronted with them and you think, wow, why did why did I always think that? Why did I always assume that to be true? And then it's like, well, maybe it's not true. Um, Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm trying to think of a, I'm trying to think of a a time or a scenario or that that came into play. Yeah, it was weird. I don't think it was the way that I work is really intuitively. And so I, I would just make things and make things. And then I had to, after I made the work, I had to take the step back to really consider what it was about. I was just making it. And to me, it felt it didn't feel, I don't mean to say like that it didn't feel like as big of a deal as it was. Um, but when, after I made the work and I realized like, wow, this is, I don't think that I've seen, you know, images. I've never seen an image of a, of a black girl looking at her vagina in a mirror. Like I've never seen that, that image. And so I think that I got, 
at things that sort of didn't exist for me. And so it's that stereotype. And I'm thinking of also taking this somewhere totally different when I'm thinking about girls and I'm thinking about their access to their bodies and the way that girls don't learn to explore their bodies in the same way that boys do. So I think I started to think about those sort of things, things more sort of. Yeah. Hey, I'll be teaching a series of workshops where I teach my personal approach to street photography throughout the year. I'll be in San Francisco in June at Street Photo SF and New Orleans in October. I also have just announced two more workshops, including one in New York City in October and one in Paris in September. You'll find links for all of these in the show notes and the Candor Frame website. Sign up today and I hope to see some of you there. Well, you had your first job when you were 18, and that's that's not easy, period, yeah. you know, but, you know, you, you continue to pursue your education, and for a lot of young women, especially young women of color, having a child can be a huge obstacle to pursuing, you know, education or any sort of personal dream, and I was wondering if you could share with me what helped you to not allow that to happen to you and for you to pursue your your love and interest in photography. Yeah, I think it's some of it. I guess the first thing that came to mind was always that notion that I came from greatness. I think, and that, you know, goes back to those images and, and those strong women that were in my life. I think, too, I've always been sort of a, a dreamer. I am somebody who like kind of wants to believe in the impossible. Uh, also like a fighter. So somebody, you know, when something's presented as I can't do it, I like to, to figure it out um, and how I can do it. I remember when I graduated high school, I, I went to the Art Institute of Philadelphia for about two months and then decided that I, well, that I was so in love with the boy that I was dating that summer um, and ended up coming right back home. And that's when I got pregnant with my son. I think after a while, though, you know what it was? I was working at this job and I hated it. And just one day I decided to go back to school. Um, and I thought it was really irresponsible to study photography because I was a mother now. And mm-hmm. what's that going to do for me? And so I just took like general studies at community college. Um, and I ended up taking a photography class. And I and I got a camera, a digital camera, and went on a trip to Guatemala. Um, and everybody was photographing the trash and the sort of the sadness that they saw. Um, but I was really attracted to the people and the beauty and the gestures and hands and this intimacy. Um, and I decided after that, that, uh, I had to study photography. Mm -hmm. I just had. Did you, did you get pushback either from family or from other people that saying, you know, you're a mother now, you need to take this seriously that, you know, what are you going to, how are you going to make a living? You know, are you going to shoot weddings? You know, what, you know, the usual pushback that you get when you're, when you're looking at a career that's more creative and that in the eyes of a lot of people involves a lot more risk. Yeah. I don't think that I can recall anything like that off the top of my head. I think for me, as I started to 
to make images that I liked when I started, when I decided to, to transfer to Ithaca College here to study cinema and photography, and, and things just sort of kept happening. Um, like one little door open, a believer in like having different baskets and um, addressing, you know, different goals and, and keep moving forward. So I think, you know, when something little would happen from something, a recognition or, you know, getting put in a show or an image that I really liked, it just kept that that energy going to keep keep at it. And even when I was deciding to go to graduate school, I was like, this is crazy. Um, I don't drive. Uh, my kids are still kind of young. Who's going to watch them? But I just didn't let that kind of stop me. And I just took the steps and then doors kept opening. And Tell me about your your time in in school and MFA. You mentioned that in you know, Ithaca, it's largely it's largely white, and then uh, that that blacks and other people of color for a small part of the community. Was that mirrored in your in your time in education? Um, I think it was specifically studying art in terms of who my teachers were and who my fellow students were. I struggled a bit at times to. I think sometimes the content of my work was kind of skirted around at times. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't, I think it was a bit of discomfort in talking about it. Um, maybe not always understanding the work. So it would go to sort of a technical talk sometime, or these are the things that you could shift about the image, or why don't you try lighting? And, I, and, and in a way it helped because it, it pushed me to try and to do things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but at times it was super frustrating. It was like my friends at home, like knew me, but then I had my art friends who sort of knew art. And so it was hard to sort of mix those two since the work is really also about me. Yeah, well, I know that that's a point of frustration that I've I've heard from other creatives, whether they're writers, whether they're photographers, or, or whether they're artists, and they're using their own life experiences for their for their work. And if it's rooted in being a person of color or being a person of a certain class that isn't reflected in the greater community that's in that classroom, yeah. um, it can be problematic and stressful and it can really dissuade people from really um going all in in terms of what they're trying to say especially when you're young when you're in your early 20s it can be really intimidating to put something of yourself out there and not feel like that's being understood or even embraced or even accepted yeah you know i haven't talked to a lot of people who uh about this but I know that it was something that I've always been aware of because I was, you know, in my education, I was usually one of the few brown people in the room and it affected me. So I'm just kind of curious as to, yep. you know, how, what, you know, what did you need to do in order to sort of straight, stay true to your voice and not, and not compromise it? Yeah, I remember sometimes sitting in crit and like not wanting to say anything. Like I just remember having an attitude sometimes and not even wanting to like be in that space where you have to open up because you are vulnerable. Um, And sometimes that's scary. I like to be in control a lot, I think, which is can be evident in some of my images sometimes. Um, And so I think letting go of that. Uh, sort of that fear, I guess, and realizing too that sometimes people aren't going to get it and that's fine. And if I'm staying true to myself and what I just know that I need to make, 
then that's just what I had to do. Uh, it was definitely frustrating at times, though, but definitely sought out people um, who could understand the work and understand it on different levels and even open my eyes to things that I didn't see, even see in the work because I was so close to it and not removed from it at all. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't have had any other experience. I don't think though. I think it was a great experience um, at Syracuse and I had some great professors and great people that came through and um, got to look at my work. Um, but yeah. Yeah. It's so weird. Cause I'm not that same person that I was, uh, even a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At all. It's really weird to look. I wonder sometimes if I was sitting in that classroom now, yeah, the person that I would be. Yeah. Oh, I, I completely get that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As your work has gotten out there and you've gotten press on it and people have seen the work, what have been the kinds of responses you've got to it, got uh, about it, both good and bad? Yeah. So the most exciting responses are girls that see themselves reflected in the work, like girls who are so moved to actually see a reflection of themselves and feel that they, you know, are connected, that they are one of those girls or they understand something on a different level. I had an exhibition here at Ithaca College, um, where I had set up sort of this bedroom, this girl's bedroom, and there was a vanity and there was, um, there was like hair gel with a toothbrush and coconut oil, you know, so that it created this sense of smell. And, and it was so interesting to see that some people knew that that toothbrush was for like laying down your baby hairs and some people didn't. Mm. And so, yeah, that's one of the things that I really enjoy about the work is that you know, some people feel that they're on the periphery while some people feel in included. And I think that when you feel on the periphery, that sort of um, makes you aware of yourself and who you are. And I like that that play. Um, so that's been like the greatest thing is that it resonates with people. I think some of the, the funny things I uh, had this Huffington Post article and it said that I like Media Blast only photographs girls of color. Yeah. Uh -huh. The, the headline um, and I'm and that's fine because I'm very dedicated to you know my subject matter but I, I think one of the images what was it somebody just said something really awful and it just threw me off like I wouldn't and, oh, I forget what it was but it was a really sort of mean comment it was like a white dude who said something like you know I wouldn't want her anyway about one of the images and it it, it was funny and it was weird to see that people reacted like that to that statement mm -hmm. when it's really like white people photograph only white people all of the time. <laughs> like <it's the> <laughs> We live in that world. And for me to make that statement to say that it's, it's not, it's not about disliking or, you know, somebody else It's about wanting to make that work because of the power of it and what it does. Yeah. That's very true. That is an excellent point to make. Yeah. Yeah, because it's it, you know it's really interesting is that because of not only who you're choosing to photograph but how you're choosing the photograph, you're really sort of going against generations and endless imagery that has chosen to define you know a certain group of people in a certain way, especially when it's women and it's women of color, yeah, and that. You know, that I can see how some people get very intimidated by looking at this imagery because it goes counter to what they've grown to expect. Yeah. And, you know, there's no doubt that, that, that people are going to perceive 
for, 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 you know, photographs, especially your kinds of photographs in that way. But do you, but is that a consideration for you at all when you're making your photographs or? I never really think about um, like how the work is going to be received or, you know, what people will take it as or how people will feel or how they, they'll think. I think I'm really dedicated to, to making the, the images that come to mind. Um, and also knowing that through my work, I really want to portray that this is just like a, it is all like a sticky situation. It is all complicated. When you're making images of black girls and black women, you're speaking to a history of something. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I wanted the work to feel really real. And at times that's intimate and at times that's grotesque and at times that's personal. I think that was something that I really wanted to create in the work is like this space that is about the subject and about the subject with each other and sort of in a way, and if it can even like dismiss the audience mm -hmm. because it becomes about them and it becomes about the interior, even though, you know, as viewers, we're looking and engaging um, with the work. So I, I always try to I get excited about images when I'm making them, though, when the idea seems to be coming um, together, but not often what people are going to think. And I think, too, that I, I was just making the work and I wasn't thinking like, oh, this is sort of radical. I think about that notion of that word radical right. and what that means opposed to like, oh, I'm just telling the truth. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I'm, <laughs> I'm just doing what I need to do or I'm just speaking to the experience or I'm just had this idea that was about something I read or a conversation I had with somebody or. Do, do you find that because of your work that you're pressured to sort of explain yourself, explain your work to a, to a degree that maybe other, other people don't have to? Yeah, I think sometimes I do. And it, it is sometimes it's hard. I, I guess the work I always want, the work to create a feeling like that there's this like visceral response to the work um, and that you don't have to exactly know everything that it's about and that it means different things to different people mm -hmm. um, depending on where you are coming from. Right. Cause when we see art, we're really only bringing ourselves to the work and all of our experiences and the things that we've seen. And that's how we interact with it. And that's how we understand it. And so I think that there has been this need to understand the work and, and there's so much in the work that sometimes I get um, uh, sort of, you know, taken in different directions about where to go with the work. Like there's so many things I can talk about that I feel like it's sometimes so much, mm -hmm. um, if that makes any sense. No, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. So. You know, we were talking, uh, we only talked about one personal project, but you've had several that you've worked on. What What are you working on currently? I am currently working um, on a series. I just like to call it Black Magic, but <laughs> um, I have a couple images for it uh, that I'm excited about. And I get really excited when the weather turns and it's everything is green and it's warm um, and so I'm excited to keep making work for that realizing that my subject matter tends to be the same which are girls uh, but I also want to start photographing boys and men uh, I just received a grant from Lightwork um, in Syracuse New York to make a short um, video this summer 
which will, I've done video work before. I also like to work with um, like zines and small books. And so I'm excited about the film, um, which will uh, be about girls. Also, I'm working on a series called The Trouble with Being a Mama, uh, which is work of myself as a child and uh, my kids, photographs of them over the years that I've made which I envision as like a book. I would also love to make a book of the girls who spun gold. Oh, I'd yeah. be excited to see that. Yeah, that would be yeah, awesome. I think that would be, that would be fun book to me. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Okay. I think what comes to mind right off the top of my head um, is James Vanderzee. Mm, yeah. Yes. One of my favorite photographers, realizing that I have really been influenced by uh, the notion of being photographed in a, like a portrait studio, that things are really still, um, that there's always some you know, beautiful clothing that is being worn, that there's often a backdrop and a prop. And I love that work, just considering I love Harlem so that it was made, you know, during Harlem Renaissance and and such. And in a time when my family actually lived in Harlem, which is cool. So James Vanderzee. Yeah. Yeah. That's an awesome recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Lydia, thank you so much for making time for us. It was a real pleasure to speak with you. Yes, of course. Thank you so much. Thanks to Nydia for making time for us. To find out more about Nydia and her work, visit NydiaBloss.com. And you can show your support of The Candid Frame by writing a review in the iTunes store. As people search for podcasts to listen to, these reviews can lead people to us for the very first time, and that can make all the difference. So if you haven't already, please take the time to do it today. Thanks to AFOG from the U.S. for its five-star review. Really appreciate your support. You can also support the show by making a monthly contribution through Patreon. And for as little as $2 a month, you can help us to not only meet the cost of production for the show, but allow us to improve our podcast, YouTube channel, and website. Or if you just want to make a one-time contribution to the show, you can do so via PayPal. You'll find links to both on the Candid Frame website or the show notes. Thanks to Jan Sears, The Renaltus Project, Stephanie Banks, and Sean Staples for their contributions to the show. Muchas gracias. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS and Android. Not only will you immediately receive the latest episode on your phone or tablet, but you can now easily share your favorite episodes on your social networks and help spread the word. And if you want to drop me a line with comments or suggestions for the show, you can email me directly from the app. Download it today by clicking on the link in the show notes or the website at thecanderframe.com. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at simply at X. And this is X, and this is The Candid Frame.